Hi, welcome to Save the Track Bike, the Fixed Gear Cycling Podcast. I'm Josh, your host. On today's episode, I have a conversation with Evelyn Sifton. Uh, She's a fixed gear crit racer and ex-triathlete. She is an advocate for transathlete.com and you can play. And yeah, she does awesome stuff and she's super nice. We had a lot in common, had a ton of fun with this conversation. So enjoy this talk as much as I did. So I'm here with Evelyn Sifton, and uh, yeah, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi there, I'm Evelyn. I raced track bikes and fixed gear crits. I raced in 2017 for Team Aerosaur. I raced at the Red Hook Crit Milano. I raced at several races here in our local eastern Canada scene, and looking to expand and do a little bit more next year. Oh, that's awesome. So I kind of like to start these at the beginning, like how did you get into bicycles and and what's your history with that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I actually was never really that into bikes. They were always just kind of a means to an end for me. So growing up, I grew up on a, in a really small town on a farm. And so bikes were the way you would get to the next closest person's house, which was a kilometer or two kilometers away because you didn't have the option of walking or buses or anything growing up in the country. So I think I had just some crappy Walmart BMX was my first bike. Nice. <laughs> um, use that just for getting around as a kid, you know, from farm to farm, visiting friends. But I didn't actually get into bikes until university. So for context, I had been playing volleyball at a very, very high level. I was going to provincials, going to nationals with a club team all through middle school and high school. Got to university and was told I was too short for the volleyball team. No. Um, so at that point, I was like, well, now what? Um, and a friend of mine at the time was, you know, we both put on you know, some freshman weight. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to start running. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'll start running with you. And then, you know, he says to me, I'm going to, I used to swim competitively in high school. So I'm going to start going to the pool. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll join you for that too. Like, you'll have to teach me a bit. Like, I never swam competitive or anything, but sounds like fun. And then he, you know, next thing, obviously the next logical step was, hey, I'm going to do a triathlon. And my thought was, I don't own a bike, but I'm down for this. Um, I'm always a very, like, easygoing and, like, willing to try anything sort of person. So, you know, the next week I went to a local bike shop and picked up a cheap, you know, $600 rally road bike. And did my first triathlon like a month later. Dang. And I was hooked. That's awesome. Um, Triathlons are intimidating to me. <laughs> they're still intimidating to me, and I raced it for five For four years, I raced triathlon, and I, they're still intimidating to me. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, but so yeah, and then I raced four years for the University of Ottawa triathlon team. So after that summer, I actually joined the team the next year and spent my university degree racing triathlon. So how did that transition into to track bikes or racing fixed gear crits? So my first fixed gear was actually in my third year or fourth year of university. Okay. I bought it as a winter beater. Um, it was something that was purely just for, you know, beating up, riding through the awful, salty, gross-conditioned Ottawa winters we have here. I feel you in Denver, it's the same thing. Yeah. So 
So it, it definitely was a good idea just for the maintenance. And, you know, I didn't want to take my carbon Cervelo out. Yes, I was a dentist at one point and rode a Cervelo. <laughs> um, I still get flack for riding a Cervelo for a good four years of my life. Uh, you know. But, and it was purely just a means to an end for me. And, you know, I had that bike for a year. And then one morning I step out onto my patio and the bike has been stripped. No. Every part of the frame is gone. So I posted about it on Reddit Fixed Gear Bicycle. I was like, you know, kind of a, this sucks, and just posted the picture. And someone commented and was like, hey, I looked through your post history, noticed you're from Ottawa. I've got some free parts. I'm from your city. Um, I've got some parts kicking around if you want them. So message back and forth. I ended up meeting up with this guy, and this person ended up being Mike Norton, the founder of the Aerosource Cycling Club, which is Ottawa's fixed gear cycling club slash team. Wow, that's so nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, so chatted with him a bit, saw his like beautiful Chinelli Kaleidoscope Figarelli, and was thinking like, oh, like these bikes can be more than just beaters. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, like look up Chinelli Mash, look up, sorry, look up the um, Nakaframa, look up Mash Transit, you know, look up Red Hook. And so he kind of got the the idea rolling in my head when we just met up to grab a, a brake and some handlebars off him. So, you know, dove into the internet rabbit hole and started looking at the different opportunities in fixed gear and was like, okay, you know what? This beater's not going to cut it. So I actually sold that frame because that was all that was left, bought a pure fixed gear in, which I know isn't, isn't the best fixed gear bike, but to me it was a big deal and built it up a little bit more race worthy and then raced my first alley cat on that and rode that for a year. And so that was kind of my introduction to fixed gear though. It was the community that got me into it. Oh, that's awesome. That's the one thing about this community. A lot of times I feel like it's very supportive. I mean, there are in any community, there's people that aren't or they are mean or whatever, but <laughs> but the people that are really passionate about it and are pushing it forward are the people that I find really inspiring. And, and so that's cool to mm-hmm. hear that kind so, of story. <laughs> what was really cool, especially you bring up the fixed gear community being so supportive and you know accepting and everything. And that's actually what convinced me to switch from triathlon. So... Up until the 2017 season, I was still committed to triathlon. I was training to try to make Kona um, at this point. So I had to, again, like touch on this later, but I had to take a year off from competitive sports as part of my transition. Mm-hmm. It's the WADA regulations. We have to go a year, you know, on hormones before we're allowed to compete in our identified gender. Okay. 2016, I wasn't allowed to race or I, I raced. I put that in quotation marks because mm-hmm. I raced genderless and I audited the race. I wasn't eligible for any awards. I was doing it just to get my times and to keep my fitness and for motivation. And then 2017, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to qualify for worlds, you know, triathlon worlds. And, you know, Mike asked me, hey, do you want to race with Aerosaur this season as like a side project? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So I decided my Kieran wasn't going to cut it. Um, I work at a bike shop, so it was convenient that I was able to, you know, get a a nicer track bike through um, with a staff discount. So I'm now on a bomb track needle. Oh, Notice nice. you posted about on your Instagram. Yes, I actually just emailed them today because I was like curious if the 2018s were going to come in to the U.S. and apparently they're not, and I'm very sad. We can get them. We can get them here in Canada. So I mean, okay, maybe I need to take a trip to Ottawa. <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, I bought the Bontrag needle and went and did my first, you know, fixed gear crit. And this was also my first bike race. I had done, you know, time trials, but I'm not going to count that you know, on my, on my Cervelo and I had done, you know, triathlon, but this was my first bike race. And I remember it was me and Mike in the car. And then we had two other friends, you know, 
two other Aerosmith teammates in the other car. And I was saying, what happens if someone gives me shit? Because unfortunately in triathlon, I had experienced discrimination. Yeah. And I had experienced, you know, competitors making snide comments about how if I beat them, I had better let the world spot, what we call roll down, aka give up the world spot so the next place competitor could have it. You know, I'd, I'd experienced some trouble in the yeah. triathlon scene. I was worried coming into the fixed gear scene. And, you know, show up to my first race, super nervous. And I line up next to who I would later find out is a big deal. I line up next to Raphael Lemieux. <laughs> and uh, before the race, you know, she turns to the competitor on each side and gives us both props, says good luck. There wasn't any snide comment. There wasn't any weird looks. It was just no big deal. I was there. I was a competitor and did the race. And it was awesome. And, you know, afterwards, I finished third. I podiumed. Raph laughed me, but that's another story. <laughs> and I just, you know, after the race, there's a big social. There's a barbecue. There's music. There's beer. And I felt accepted. And I was, you know, socializing with everyone. And people were coming up to me saying, congrats, asking me about my experience in bike racing. And it was just so amazing how welcoming the community was that I actually was like, you know what? I'm going to make this my focus. And I sold my tri bike. I completely switched my chain, my training focus. I stopped swimming, stopped running, and I focused purely on cycling. And well, it eventually brought me to, it eventually brought me to Milan and then eventually brought me to kind of a higher level of competition. Wow. That's awesome. That's so good to hear. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just amazing. I, I couldn't get over, especially coming from a sport where I did experience discrimination to a sport that there was none yeah. to a sport where I felt so welcome. That's good to hear. Cause you know, you kind of, you kind of see the stories and, you know, I have like uh, a really good friend of mine came out as trans a few years ago and I've known her for like over a decade since we were like in high school and stuff. And like just hearing some of the stories that, that stuff that she went through and all that stuff, it's like, it's so hard to understand like why people are like that, you know? And like, just hearing that there is a community where you could come from one sport to another where people were accepting and you weren't getting any of that, that's just really inspiring. It makes me really happy about this whole thing. <laughs> no, I was, I was definitely happy to, you know, have gotten become a part of this culture because I'd been so accepted in the Montreal scene. I was worried when I went to Milan, my first international race, um, you know, if I was going to get that same level of acceptance there. Because I was traveling alone. I didn't have any teammates with me. I didn't know anyone um, other than Raph. But on race day, Raph is like in the zone. She doesn't talk to anyone. I understand that. I get really <laughs> nervous on race days. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same. I put on like headphones, but I'm still kind of social like during like not an hour before the race. But her all day, she's in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. And then same experience. I ended up making friends with Team Suicycle and Team Messpack Berlin. Spent the day hanging out with them. Again, no issue whatsoever. My competitors at Red Hook, no issue. And so even then, even on the international scene, I was like, wow, okay. I was worried for nothing once again. So that was definitely really nice. That's awesome. So what was your first crit that you did or fixed gear crit specifically? <laughs> first fixed gear crit was the Tuni crit Montreal. Okay. It was that first one when I showed up and was, you know, saying, what if, what if I'm not accepted? Yeah. So that was my first crit, as I said, lined up next to Raphael Lemieux, who I didn't find out until later was a big deal because um, I was coming. I was a, I was a triathlete. I, I didn't really follow this stuff. Um, and then Lori Colomb, who's like a very strong cyclist from Peppermint Activia, a few other riders from iBike. You know, there wasn't too many of us in the women's field. I think only like six of us, but it was awesome. It was really cool. I ended up in the early break with 
Raph and Lori, um, they eventually dropped me with, you know, five, six laps to go, but they took first, second, I took third. It was absolutely awesome. I had to learn to corner because time trial courses don't have hairpins. Oh yeah. <laughs> it gave me something to aspire to. Um, the Tooney Crit course is pretty technical. It has kind of a, um, I guess like two, a 90 degree turn into a hairpin. So okay. it's like a, a two 90 degree turns. And then those turns like shed your speed into the hairpin. Yeah. There's a pretty tight technical hairpin. There's usually a fair few crashes. Um, and then it's, you know, a long straightaway into a nice wide U-turn. Then again, you have the long straight through the start finish. And then that's the course. It's pretty short. It's only like 400, 500 meters. And you do a lot of laps. They don't even bother counting the laps. It's actually a um, 30 minutes plus five laps is the format. Okay. That's similar to the so one crit that I did last summer. It was like, it was 40 minutes plus five laps or something like that. It was intense. Yeah. <laughs> so 2017 was your first summer of crits, right? Yeah. This, the summer that just passed was my first season of racing fixed year. Okay. And uh, yeah, what were some of your favorite races that you did? What were... So I did, I ended up doing, because I love it and the social scene surrounding it so much, I ended up doing the Toonie Crit all five of the series. Okay, so it's a series. So I did the whole five race series. Um, that was sweet because every race I got a little bit closer to Raph. So, you know, at the end of the first race, she lapped me. Second race, she, you know, was three quarters of a lap ahead of me. Third race, she was like, she was away actually and I won because she wasn't there because she was too busy winning Red Hook Crit London. Um, fourth race, you know, she was only half a lap ahead of me. And then by the fifth race, she was only, you know, a few hundred meters. Nice. So, so you really got to feel that kind of progression. Mm-hmm. And it gave me that goal, always having her in my sights of like, okay, I am chasing down the world's number two. It was kind of exciting. And it was like, okay, I have something to aspire to. So that series in general holds kind of a special place, plus the social aspect and, you know, meeting all sorts of different people and you know, getting connections in the scene. Um, after that, the two other two other races I did in Montreal were the Jackalope X I bike crit, which I know you were saying in uh, last week's podcast that you really want to come in like video races. Yeah. Um, if I can recommend any Canadian race to come to, the Jackalope crit is going to be my plug there. It's part of a multi sport festival, so it's skateboarding, base jumping, highline, BMX, and fixed gear. Nice. Oh, and rock climbing. But essentially, it's like a full weekend-long festival, fixed gears on one of the days. Um, the course is in the Montreal Olympic Park. And it was essentially just two long, like, C-shaped um, straightaways with two hairpins. That was the course. Dang. <laughs> so it was super fast, very, very dangerous. Um, we had teams come up from New York. We had teams in from the Netherlands. So that was kind of the, the really exciting race. And I finished third on at that one behind uh, Raf, of course, in first. And then um, Chelsea Matthias of Laser Rodaguerra in second. Then we also had, in here in Ottawa, we actually host a race. And I know that you love hill climbs. So again, if you're going to come spend some time in Ottawa, we have Battle of the Gats. Um, it's an uphill fixed gear race, so it's in Gatineau Park, which is Ottawa's main, you know, training grounds. Um, it's our main hill, it's our main mountain, um, and so that we did a race there, um, and that one was also a ton of fun. We have, you know, a king and queen of the Gats category. That and... sounds really fun. That sounds right up my alley. But <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking after hearing the podcast, of, like I've listened to quite a few episodes now, I was like, okay, I should invite him to this because 
that also sounds like it's his thing. Cool. I need to write that down because I, I am interested in uh, like the crits and stuff are fun, but I like doing uh, I feel like my strength a lot is like I can sprint and I can like turn off my brain and go for a really long time and hurt. <laughs> so. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so definitely come visit Ottawa and come check out Battle of the Yats. Um, it's a race that we put on. It's completely like still kind of fixy bullshit in the way that, you know, we, we don't close the roads. It's open to open to cars and whatnot. Oh, that's fine. It's a public park, so we like can't close the roads. Yeah, who has that kind of money? But, I don't know. <laughs> that's for sure. But we had a lot of awesome sponsors that made it happen, and it was it was a really rad event. It was the second second year in a row we've done it, and it's going to become a staple in the series. So I'll definitely have to get that info and post about it and help promote it however I can. So because I'm all about like that's part of the reason why I want to do this is like there's so many races and and fixgearcrit.com is really like filling in kind of a gap I think, and then so yeah. I was like just thinking what else could I do that's like my strength and I was doing some like environmental activism like years ago and I remember we were putting on this event that was like at the Denver State Capitol and we were on the radio and afterwards my friend was like you should do a radio show you have a radio voice (laughs) and I was like cool maybe one day and then so when I was trying to think of like what can I do in the fixed gear scene I was like oh a fucking podcast so why not? <laughs> I was going to say, um, funny that you mentioned fixed gear crit because Brian Megan's actually came and raced Battle of the Gats. Oh, nice. He is the current standing king of the Gats. Nice. Um, and it was cool because when I saw him in Milan, he was still rocking his king of the Gats top cap. Hell yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of cool. He had his gold king of the Gats, you know, 20, 2017 top cap on his bike in Milan, and I had my Queen of the Gats 2017. So we took a little picture of our bikes and caught up with him, said hi and whatnot. So there we go. Fix Your Crit was there, so must mean it's good, right? Yeah, right. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, which Red Hooks did you do? You did uh, Milan, you said. Yeah, I was supposed to do Barcelona, okay. but I got caught up in a very, very long legal slash bureaucratic battle of trying to get a passport. Oh, no. Canadian government, uh, not Canadian government, the Ontario government, is has an interesting reputation of making things difficult for transgender people in changing our, our IDs and our documents. So for anyone else, a name change would have taken two months. Um, my name change ended up taking eight. Um, that meant, it, and you can't apply for a passport while you have an active name change. Wow. So the entire summer, I was essentially barred from any travel while I waited for my name change to process. That's so dumb. So that meant, that meant I couldn't go to my cousin's wedding in Vermont, and I was also going to go ride some mountain bikes at Kingdom Trail, so that was unfortunate. You know, it meant no races other than what I could drive to within Canada. That's really annoying. I got my passport the day before I left for Milan. Wow. I almost didn't make it. Jeez. Come on, Ontario, what are you doing? Get your act together, yeah, guys. So <laughs> that was a mess. But I made it to Milan, and that's what matters. Yeah, that's awesome. And then next year, you know, I'm pulling pulling the strings right now to make the entire series happen. I have an interview with a with a team. I won't I won't give the announcement here, unfortunately. That's okay. Um, with it, I have an interview with a new team in two days to uh, talk possibilities and you know make sure our goals match up. But I'll def- I'll be in new colors next year. You heard it here first on Save the Track Bike. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So the plan for 2018 is to try to do the full Red Hook series is, is your goal. Yeah. Biggest reason being, you know, I also do a lot of advocacy work. 
Yeah. So probably seen on my on my Instagram and such. You know, I I do a lot of promotion for transathlete.com, um, which is a resource page for transgender athletes. So it's the different rules of different organizations and sporting uh, governing bodies around the world. Um, as well as You Can Play, which is a charity that um, advocates for, you know, the getting rid of discrimination of LGBTQ athletes in sport. So Red Hook is kind of the right channel in terms of getting those messages out and setting that example. And so that's really important to me to, you know, kind of get the eyes to it that the smaller crits don't have. That's really amazing. That said, um, that said, I would really like to race. I'm just going to pull up my race calendar here. Nice. <laughs> I've already written it out a little bit. Um, the Ossington crit in Toronto is one I want to get to. Okay. It's kind of one of the rowing Canadian crits that we have going. I need to go to Toronto again. I've only been there once. And so much I, fun. I love Toronto. I was, like, doing some activist work on uh, on the Warp Tour, <laughs> and my day off was in Toronto, and I didn't feel like exchanging any money or anything, so I ended up just walking around, and I didn't really get to do anything. <laughs> But it was a cool town. I liked it. Yeah, you definitely have to come back. I, I like my sisters both live in Toronto, so I've been there a lot. And definitely always a good time. I, it's usually kind of a blur because I usually drink a lot when I'm there. there so. you go. Hey, that sounds like me every time. Uh, my wife's from Omaha, Nebraska, and every time we go out there, I feel like I want to quit drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's too much. I don't know how you guys do it here. <laughs> So, uh, Toronto crit, all right, Toronto crit. Yeah, the Ossington crit in Toronto. Ossington crit. What's cool about that is it's in, it's in the Ossington market, which is like a historic old market district, so it's like a very pretty crit as well. I love that kind of thing. I also want to try to get down to the fixation crit in Chicago. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to if, be there too, so. Hey, awesome. Hopefully I'll see you there. Yeah. I also want to try to get to Red Bull Last Hand. Yes, that looks... I was actually registered for this year. I was going to go the week before Milan, and I was going to fly San Antonio to Milan. And then, of course, as you know, I didn't get my passport. Yeah. So I had to get my registration and, like, abandon the race. So I, I have kind of a, a vengeance, but, like, I need to go back and do that race now. Yeah, go win it. <laughs> Here's hoping. Um, and then otherwise, it's it's going to be... It's going to come down to money what other races I can do. I really want to do that race you've been talking about on the podcast, that three-day fixed-gear stage race. Yes, that looks like so much fun. I think I've mentioned it in every episode now. <laughs> I think you have, and that's why I'm like, I really want to do this. Like, this sounds really fun, yeah. especially because I come from a time trial background. Yeah, so doing that on a track makes sense. Really sounds fun. For it. Yeah, there's some local time trials in uh, Denver, like, every Thursday. And so yeah. when Scott and I were doing our episode, I would, he was like, well, I don't think they care what kind of bikes you bring. So we were just like, let's just show up on track bikes and do a time trial with them. <laughs> what I'm doing here, actually, next summer, we have also, it's our, I think ours are Tuesdays, but we have a, a Tuesday night women's time trial here in Ottawa. And I was going to start showing up to those this coming year. Oh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that three-day race seems like a blast. Uh, Josh and Scott, the I think the state team went and did it and yeah just the way that they were talking about it just seemed like a really fun experience and i was surprised that more people haven't heard about it so if i do talk about it on every episode of this podcast i just hope that that gets more people out there (laughs) well you've got one person like interested it's just going to come down to if i can afford it or if you know the new team i'm going to be with can afford to send me absolutely 
that's kind of where so, I'm at. It's just like, what can I afford to show up to at this point? But yeah. we'll see. We'll so see. I, that's why most of mine are within like road trip range. But, yeah. you know, there's a few other goals in there. There's a few cycle cross races in there, but those have gears. So I won't talk about them here. <laughs> you can talk about it. I want to do a track low cross um, race. <laughs> We have cyclocross nationals, um, not too far from here, not from too far from Ottawa in Peterborough. So I was going to hit up cyclocross nationals. Um, the uh, the Pan Ams are in Midland, which is kind of close to London, Ontario. And then I was also going to hit up the Trek Cyclocross World Cup in Waterloo. Again, keeping everything in road trip range. I want to do, on my way back from Brooklyn, I really want to hit Mount Washington. Okay. And like film almost like a, a vlog of climbing that. Speaking of your fixed gear, hill climbing. Yeah. I'm on my way home from, oh yeah, Brooklyn Red Hook and the entire Red Hook series. But going to road trip to Brooklyn and then on my way back hit Mount Washington. Nice. Do you have a YouTube channel? Uh, not yet. Stay tuned. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Once I'm recovered from surgery, I'll probably start on that project. Right now, I'm still pretty, like, not mobile, and yeah. Yeah, understandable. I'm kind of, like, waiting to really get mine going uh, until race season starts, so. Yeah, kind of the same here. Like, I'm going to start doing some of, like, the race prep, but it's going to kind of wait till I can ride outside and we don't have a blanket of snow, so. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> I'm so bored with riding on the trainer right now. You have no idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, I can't say anything. <laughs> but yeah, we uh, we've had really nice weather, but I've been like way too busy this past week, like way overbooking myself because I do like filmmaking and stuff too. So I've been just kind of doing that after work, and I'm like, all right, I need to clear the schedule for like the next like until the end of summer almost. <laughs> <laughs> I have no, just... I'm, I'm pretty free right now. It's funny whenever someone messages me saying, "Hey, do you want to do this?" It's like, yeah, I'm I'm free Monday to Friday all day. I am at home recovering, and that is all I'm doing. So please give me something to do. <laughs> Put in 20 minutes on the recumbent bike yesterday, so that was impressive of myself. Nice. What were you listening to when you when you do that kind of thing? My recent guilty pleasure has been K-pop. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which is, like, really embarrassing to admit, because I've heard all your other guests, and they always have, like, really, like, unique and intriguing taste in music. And I'm like, yeah, I listen to a lot of K-pop. Um, <laughs> I do listen to a lot of post-hardcore as well, and, like, when I'm working out more intense, which obviously I'm not doing right now. Yeah. Oh, talk about that. So you were in a post-hardcore band. What do you mean when you say post-hardcore? Um, post-hardcore, I'm, I'm referring to bands like Asking Alexandria, okay. Silver Scene, um enter shikari and the ice and their older music mm -hmm. under oath is a huge one for me okay so i used to be in a post-hardcore band and we were actually supposed to play a show with under oath uh back before they were like under oath under oath because i'm kind of old now so yeah. this was like you know 12 years ago <laughs> and uh, we were supposed to play this show but the person who was booking the show and my guitar player were kind of dating and then they broke up and then she bumped us from the show <laughs> oh that's just mean i know do that to someone. i know and then they become like the biggest band ever and uh yeah it was like that whole time like under oath and then i was listening to a lot of norma jean and yep. martyry and all that stuff architects say architects yep 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 do you Pretty know throwback bands do you know fear before the march of flames yes yeah, so they're from Denver, so we used to Not play. Not well? Yeah. Like, more like heard of them. 
Yeah, so we used to, they were on, yeah, so they were on Equal Vision, but they were all from Denver, and uh, and we used to play with them all the time, and it's funny, because the drummer is actually a huge roadie now. Like, he has this cycling group called Denver Wheelmen, and, like, is, like, all raffid out all the time. <laughs> I've noticed a trend. I've met a lot of people who were, like, post-hardcore or scene kids growing up, and, like, now ride fixed gear or road bikes in general. I think that, about uh, the angst, putting that angst into pedals. I don't know. Right. You're like, okay, I'm really tired of screaming now. And, uh, so let's ride really hard somewhere. <laughs> what was your band called? <laughs> Ligaria. Okay. We never had anything on SoundCloud. We never did anything big. We were kind of similar. We did like four tours, I think. And then like, we did get to play with some bigger bands, uh, I have, to, I have to remind you, our band was based out of King City, Ontario, so, like, very, very small town and really no opportunity. Yeah, I feel you. Our problem was is that uh, we were, like, a Christian band, and then a bunch of us stopped being Christian, and then that started infighting, and then we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that being a problem, like, non-Christians with a Christian band. Yeah, you know, we started when we were 17, and by the time we were 19, <laughs> we were just completely different people. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's amazing how much happens through like two years, how much can change. As a lot of people tell me, I'm like, oh my God, you've changed so much in three years. Really? <laughs> say. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, a lot of drum and bass as well. Like okay. on like when I'm doing interval work, drum and bass is nice because it has that high cadence, you know, high tempo. That's a good so, idea. Maybe I should try something like that. Because I was like listening to yeah. a lot of punk and stuff and like... It's really hard to pedal to that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so drum and bass I find is good because it's like sits around 160 BPM. Okay. So I find it's perfect for those, you know, high cadence sprint sets. And it's nice to zone out too. It's something that you can just kind of put your mind on and the music's intricate enough that you can just zone out to it. Nice. And then K-pop is just fun and lighthearted. And like, so if you're really hurting, it's kind of funny to have this like, really upbeat, really dancey, <laughs> like very poppy and cheery going while you're putting yourself in the pain cave. It's kind of just a nice pick-me-up, I guess. I'm legitimately going to listen to K-pop when I go on the trainer today. That's my goal. <laughs> I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to recommend BTS. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. They're kind of like the biggest breakthrough group in terms of global success. Okay. Um, I haven't heard of it. And they're kind of more so. hip-hop and a little bit more rap. So nice. Might be your scene. Otherwise, I also really like EXL. They would be my my two recommendations if you're gonna work out to it. Hey, whatever gets you through the training sessions, you know, that's what's important. <laughs> exactly. You gotta keep that fitness up, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, right now it's building back up my fitness. Yeah. Not even supposed to be working out. I'm supposed to be waiting another two weeks and I, I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. I uh, broke my leg like skating a few years ago, and yeah, I just could couldn't handle not walking anymore. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> luckily for me, I was able to walk. I think on like day two, I was day two or three, I was walking. Um, the nurses told me that I was walking like more than anyone else had ever. Nice. Um, the nurses and like some of the other patients at the aftercare facility started calling me Sporty Spice. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I like was doing workouts. I was doing like calf raises on the stair sets and then getting, getting yelled at by the, by the nurses for it. 
you know, I, I left the hospital and went for a 3K hike in the park across the street from the hospital and then got home and got yelled at. Um, I can see why you're like, just jump into the fixed care crits and you're getting like third and quickly progressing. <laughs> you seem like a very motivated person, which I really am inspired by. I, I am definitely a type A. Um, a type, type A, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a gear and a bit of a go-getter. So yeah, definitely I don't sit still and I, I don't like doing nothing. Even now that like I'm recovering from surgery and whatnot, my condo is spotless. <laughs> um, I've been cooking really nice meals. I've been baking. I've been being as productive as I can without, you know, doing much fitness. I'm trying to get to that point for the first time, you know, baking my own bread, <laughs> keeping this podcast going every week, you know, I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm figuring out in my thirties, you know, finally getting there. There you go. <laughs> better, better midlife than, than never. Not even midlife quarter life crisis. They call it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> Woo. I'm going to at least be 90, you know, there we go. So a third of life crisis. Yeah. Yeah. A third. Oh, wow. That's scary. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> like cause as existential dread. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, right here today on Save the Track Bike, uh, Josh goes through an existential crisis. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I just like what I have to do is I look at like you know Tony Hawk. I follow him on Instagram, and I'm like, all right, that dude's still doing some rad stuff. <laughs> I got to you know, Matt Hoffman. Those are my like athletic inspirations, <laughs> you know? So actually speaking of Jackalope, sorry, bringing it back to the Jackalope festival, Tony Hawk was there. Oh, really? I got to watch Tony Hawk skateboard at Jackalope. How was that? It was incredible. And like exactly how you would imagine it to be. I feel like he probably would just like put out this like energy of like, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm going to do some wacky stuff. <laughs> It was really cool. It was definitely like the highlight, like after racing and you're exhausted and a little tipsy off for loco. Cause that's what they were selling. <laughs> <laughs> it was disgusting, but I drank it. Nice. Um, yeah. It was, it was really cool though to see Tony Hawk and a lot of the skateboarders and a lot of the rock climbers and watch all these other professional athletes, like just absolutely kill it and be really good at what they do. Oh, that's awesome. I, uh, yeah, I love that kind of thing. That's why when you mentioned that festival, I was like, Oh, this sounds like a lot of fun. Cause I just like, I like watching all those kind of sports. One of my friends uh, is a photographer for the X Games, and I was, like, kind of jealous. And then I was like, why aren't fixed gear crits in the X Games yet? That needs to happen. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Hey, X Games, uh, put us in the put us in there, you know? <laughs> I want to I wanna see, see fixed gear in the UCI is what I want to see. Yeah, that'd be really like, cool. I don't know if you saw it. UCI now has the UCI Urban Cycling Championships. Interesting. What is that? Have you watched that this year? No, no. The Urban Cycling Championships was they added a few new sports under the UCI banner. So they added trials mountain biking, you know, freestyle BMX, Mm -hmm. and four cross, which is like border cross on mountain bikes. And it was super exciting. And I was like, why isn't Fixed Crit on this? Like, we are urban cycling at its finest. Exactly. Why is Fixed Gear not a discipline in this? Yeah, I see people riding around cities on track bikes all the time. Rarely do I see people hopping around on trials bikes. (laughs) <laughs> exactly it's like also canadian cycling refuses to touch fixed gear right now yeah i think I know usa cycling is about... just now coming around yeah and canadian cycling you know we actually tried to organize a crit on top of one of our local crits here in ottawa mm-hmm. 
were like, hey, can we add a fixed gear discipline? And Canadian Cycling was like, no, you will lose your insurance and like your sanctioning if you include a fixed gear crit in this event. So we're like, oh, well, we'll just keep doing our little underground races then because we can't get the insurance for it from Cycling Canada. Yeah, especially like, I mean, you look at all these other sports, like mountain biking is not the safest sport in the world and BMX is not the safest sport in the world, but they're all embraced. (laughs) I mean, even road crits are dangerous. Like you see road bikers crashing all day at crits, you know? It's not like a, only a fixed gear thing. <laughs> no, definitely. So hopefully Cycling Canada will eventually come around and start, you know, sanctioning some races. But right now, no, they refuse to touch fixed gear. That's a bummer. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to see you, USA Cycling is coming around. And the we had one USA Cycling uh, crit that happened in Denver and they added a fixed gear category and it went really well and everybody was really stoked on it. So. It was really funny, though, because the announcer just kept being like, I feel like I'm at the Velodrome. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said it like 15 times throughout the day. <laughs> uh, uh, it was very funny. Someone crashed into on purpose. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, there were road crashes all day, and we only had one fixed gear crash. So It's because we ride smarter. I'm sorry, but like fixed gear riders... We ride a little bit more intelligent. Like, we're reckless, but we're weirdly not as reckless as road riders. Yeah, actually, like, the road team that was there that put on the race even said that. They were yeah. like, oh, their cornering, like, is on point. <laughs> so it's funny. In cycling, I have crashed. How many crashes have I been in now? Not including mountain biking. Mountain biking will be in cycle cross. I'm not going to include here. In, like, road cycling, I think I've only ever been in two crashes both of which were on bikes with brakes. I've yet to ever crash riding brakeless fixed gear around the city. Yeah. I uh, I mean, the only crash I've been in that wasn't involved in ice <laughs> was, uh, and those were all just like these nice little crashes where you're like, uh-oh, there goes my wheel, and then you're sliding on the ground, uh, <laughs> just commuting to work, you know. But the only one I ever really got in on, and, and you know, this isn't saying that if you feel comfortable riding with a brake that you shouldn't, uh, but I had a front brake and I almost like a car pulled out of a, uh, like basically ran a stop sign. And then yeah. instead of like turning or something like I usually would, or like try to go around or whatever, I slammed on my front brake and just completely went over the oh, handlebars. No. <laughs> and fortunately, so fortunately I was okay, but you know, at the same time, like uh, a year later, two of my friends were in very serious bicycling accidents and both of them were just on road bikes. So, I mean, I don't know, whatever. But I'm just saying that, like, if you are aware of what you're doing and you're comfortable without a break and you're racing and stuff like that, I think it heightens your awareness a little bit a lot of times and it makes you ride safer for real. Yeah, I find I ride way less reckless. Like, cause I, I ride around the city, both on my fixed gear and on my cycle cross bike. Mm-hmm. I find I ride so much more reckless on my cross bike versus on my fixed gear. I'm like, okay, I am riding a death trap. I need to be more cautious. I need to be more aware, <laughs> yeah. distracted. So definitely notice the difference of like riding a, a, a brakeless bike makes me more aware and more, almost more safe. I want to say in a weird way, I ride safe. Let's say that. Yeah. I always tell people that I don't ever advocate for somebody to like ride brakeless fixed gear like if they don't want to but if you're smart and comfortable on it and you have the bike skills then i feel like it's safer when i'm on it 
I feel more comfortable because honestly, like this might be because of my attention span. Sometimes when I'm on a road bike and I'm coasting, I'll like zone out. (laughs) Really embarrassing. One of of my crashes this year was I was on my cycle cross bike. Oh no, oh no. On my cycle cross bike, I do like, you know, one or two nights a week, I do Uber Eats delivery on the bike here Mm -hmm. in Ottawa. Um, you know, you can spot me on my pink truck from a mile away. Nice. Oh, and I want that bike. I want a pink bike. Okay. Pink yeah, I have the hot pink rocket. It's beautiful. I love it. I'm, I always see somebody riding that same exact bike around Denver, and I'm always super jealous. There's two of us in Ottawa, actually, and we call ourselves the Crockett Rockets. <laughs> I love anyway, it. Um, actually, no, there's three of us in Ottawa that have the same bike, but it's okay. Um, oh yeah, sorry. Um, so I was riding around looking for the address to deliver this food to, and I went right into the back of uh, someone's Hyundai. Oh no! <laughs> the breaker right through their their uh, their rear tail light. You know, I had to pay three hundred dollars to fix their tail light. <sighs> Spilt the food. It was just bad. It was just bad. <laughs> yeah, I actually like. I have never done this before on a track bike, but like. I was just riding a <laughs> This is embarrassing. Why am I telling this story? But you just did, so hey. I just told my embarrassing yeah, story. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Make me feel better about myself. Right, so I was on a road bike, and uh, and I'm just riding, and I just remember I was, like, coasting down a hill, and then I'm just, like, listening to music, and I just completely zoned out, and I did not turn, and I just, like, <laughs> rode, into the, <laughs> rode into the grass. <laughs> And I almost crashed, but I was very fortunate that I did not. So, but it was, it was still very much like people were looking at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> Cause it was in a very popular riding area. So there was a lot of bikes around. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention with my going into the back of a Hyundai story, there was someone sitting in that parked car. Oh no. So she came out and like looks at me. Her first thing is, "Are you okay?" Which like, thank God she didn't open with yelling at me. Yeah. And it was like, "Yep, I'm fine. Just give me your phone number and let me know how much it costs." Like, <laughs> I don't want anyone to know about this, and yet here I am talking about it on a podcast. There you go. But, How's the bike doing? But <laughs> the bike was fine actually. I had to um, like bend the rifter back into place, but that was it. So I was I was pretty happy with how it all turned out. <laughs> Hey, that's good. So the cross spike is tougher than uh, the person's brake light. So perfect. <laughs> exactly. Cross bikes are tough. Yeah. So With talk two. talk about your uh, bike setup right now for your your track bike. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting a weird uh... test one, test two, check one, two. Okay, check, I can check. hear you again. Perfect. Okay. So so right now I am on a bomb track needle. On the 2017, so the black and green. So pretty. I have. Mm-hmm, I really, really love this bike. I'm like kind of hoping if I sign with a new team that I can keep on this bike, but you know, I'll, I'll ride what I'm given. Um, but I will still keep this and use it as a city bike, even if I am given something else. Yeah. Um, but I'm on trim omniums. I'm on the omnoms. So yeah, I have a factory five lattice chainring. Um, the Izumi jet black chain, and the chain and the um, chain ring or courtesy of our aerosource sponsor, Meraki Way. Um, currently running a 4915 as my like, standard training ratio. Um, in Milan, I was running 4914. Um, oh, um, Kogel ceramic bottom bracket. 
profile designs, carbon handlebars, Bond Tracker stem, Bond Tracker saddle. Yeah. Oh, and then right now, and my my training wheels are a set of Far Sports, just China carbons, on Novatech hubs, Michelin endurance tires. On race day, I run Woven, which is a local automobile wheel builder. Uh, woven carbon wheels on factory five hubs with Vittoria Corsa tires. Nice. What what uh, what size tires are you running? Twenty fives. Nice. I just switched to twenty fives, and it's so much better. I love it. Yep. But I also just built up some H plus Sun uh, Hydro rims for like my training yeah. and stuff. And uh, they make the tires so much wider, and the cornering is fucking amazing. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But yeah. Have you ridden cotton walls yet? No. Oh, you need to get on cotton walls. Okay. They're so nice. All right, I'll do it. It's like riding a I got really pissed off because I had a week where I literally went out on one ride and got three flats, and then I was like, fuck it, and I bought some thick slicks. <laughs> and... Man, I hate I hate the way they ride, but I haven't gotten a flat. So once race season starts, though, I'll find some better tires. Yeah, I don't actually. I don't my 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 cotton walls. I do not ride around the city on. Yeah, they are only race day. They are they puncture so easy? So you know, training Michelin endurance race day Victoria Corsa. Nice. I actually just put some cross tires on my because I have an all city that I use for commuting, and I just put some cross tires on it because it's snowing and stuff and it's so much fun i keep taking like detours on the like gravel trails and stuff i wish the bomb track won't take any bigger than a 25 so kind of limited to that yeah that's how my race bike is the 25s are clearance is very tiny right now (laughs) it's very tight Exactly. Yeah, mine. I can fit a piece of like a piece of paper between my rear wheel and my frame, and that is it. Yeah, I'm kind of at that point right now too. Uh, so, are you a video fan? Because I always like to, since I'm a filmmaker, I always like to talk about videos. Ooh. Um. I actually don't watch too many fixed gear videos. I do like, um, you know, like the Red Hook recaps and stuff that they do. So, yeah. like the Red Hook crit document quote-unquote that they did on youtube mm-hmm. really disappointed that there was no women's representation in that so yeah. get on your game red hook um i would love to see a women's red hook documentary alongside that men's one hashtag feminism right um <laughs> otherwise yeah I, I prefer like the more documentary stuff so i really like a lot of the mountain bike films mm-hmm. um i just watched the river to something it's was filmed here in canada but it's called the River Two, and it's some Inuit name. Just gonna look it up here. Oh, riding, riding the ten, riding the Tatshenshini. Okay, nice. Is it a film? I would recommend it. I'll have to check that out. I like watching all kinds of bike films. So yeah, I tend to watch more mountain bike films than anything, yeah. um, just because I'm I'm also a filmmaker. Oh, nice. So I I really like the more documentary, you know, beautiful scenery, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, that said, I really like uh, state bikes riding up hills, fixed gear with pros. I love those. But definitely more on the mountain bike side when I come when it comes to what I watch on the trainer or whatnot on a slow day. Yeah. Have you seen uh, uh, Personal Gold? No. Oh, you should check it out. It's about the women's uh, track team uh, in the Olympics. I think it was 2012, I want to say. And kind of maybe it was earlier than that. I don't remember exactly, but it was kind of when like Lance Armstrong and all that stuff came out about so much doping and 
like the men's like road team wasn't even going to compete that year because of so much doping. And then so yeah. all of the attention went on the women's track cycling and it's a really good movie. I love it. <laughs> you have sold me. I already have it pulled up on another tab, ready to go. Cool. And yeah, the director too, uh, she made slums of Beverly Hills, which was like a movie with Natasha Leone from years ago. And, okay. and then she made a movie with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Laura Linney called Savages, I think, or The Savages. Oh, okay. I've actually seen that one, yeah. Yeah, so she comes from like a – I think she started off kind of in documentary and then went into like some film stuff. And then then she made this documentary about the women's track team. And, yeah, it's it's like almost like cheesily inspiring, but it gets me really stoked. <laughs> I love, I love really hokey feel good movies. So you I'm will in. love this then. You will love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, right now with like the whole, you know, I was bedridden for almost well about two weeks minus my walking. Um, I was supposed to be bedridden. Let's go with that. So I, I during this time and like right now, like this whole recovering from surgery sucks and whatnot. So it's been a lot of like I can't watch anything depressing. I need to watch only feel good movies, like cheery anime, feel good movies, like nothing else. Can't can't have negativity in my life right now. It's nice to watch those kind of things too, just to just to keep motivated and to know you can do things. <laughs> I want to watch anything that's about like there was another movie about this guy who builds track bikes, and I'm forgetting his name right now, and I'm not by my Fair. computer, but uh, Faranoni. Yeah. Documentary. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh is he oh yeah he is yeah makes sense yeah famous canadian frame builder he also just um attempted the record for like what is it the world the hour record for over 90 i think he just attempted okay so so that movie was over 80 right okay yeah sorry over 80 not 90 i don't know i mean i I wasn't sure (laughs) i don't remember either for whatever age group he was building a frame and attempting the hour record Yes, that was a really good movie because I was like, all right, I'm 30. I can race some crits, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> you were too old. I thought I was too old to get into racing, you know, but. Well, so did I. I'm 23 and I was worried I was too old. And then, you know, meet, meeting all these people in the scene who are in their 30s and killing it at Red Hook. I'm like, OK, I've got a few years. I'm fine. Like, I'm not too late. We're good. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to push it real hard until until I'm broken and I can't do it anymore. Exactly. That's my goal. That is my goal. Well, I guess, uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover before we go or anything you wanted to shout out? I wanted to shout out to, actually, I kind of wanted to talk about how Milan happened so I can give the shout outs to all the people that helped make it happen. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, so, you know, was racing Tuni Crits and like the local events, everything in driving range and, you know, eventually had people saying to me, you know, you're finishing just behind Raph you should be going to the same race as she is. And so that's when the idea of like, okay, I'm going to go to Barcelona happened. And then I was stuck with the name change battle. And so I didn't get to go to Barcelona. And then it was, okay, you know what? I'm going to get this hopefully all sorted out by the time for Milan. Our team didn't have the sponsors for it. They were, you know, a cycling club, not a team per se. Had to like get the entire community together. Like the entire community got together to fundraise. So they did a pub night. Um, Joe Mama Cycles, who I'm actually wearing their t-shirt right now, um, was a huge contributor through like our local bike shop and our, our local kind of fixed gear hub in terms of the shops in Ottawa. Um, you know, really helped organize the event, provided all the prizes, lined up a few sponsors to give financial and equipment sponsorship for me. 
the Ottawa Bike Messenger Association got a bunch of money together to donate. Aerosore, you know, pulled some of their money and, you know, helped pay for my accommodation. So it was just awesome to have this community get behind it and be like, yeah, let's let's send her to Milan. Like, let's make this happen for her. So definitely wanted to give that, those little shout outs to all those groups, you know, Ava Cycling, Joe Mama Cycles, Aerosore, uh, the Ottawa Bike Messenger Association, Hexagon Cycles, you know, the groups that really made moving in my cycling to the next level possible. Also talk about any of the advocacy groups that you're working with. Yeah, so I'd only touched on it a little bit. Um, yeah. It was really cool. Actually, I'll, I'll talk about one of them if I may tell another little story. Absolutely. Um, it was really cool because, you know, it wasn't until 2016 that the rules changed for transgender athletes. So for perspective, I came out in 2014. Um, so at which time we still had a, a, an organization called CAMH running the transition process for transgender people. And so there was a nine month wait list to start hormones. Um, also disclaimer, not every trans person needs to go through a transition. Not every trans person needs to have hormones or surgery, but it was something that I personally wanted. So that disclaimer, just wanted to, you know, everyone's different. Of course. Yeah. But they had this nine month wait list. And so I had to, you know, wait the nine months and then start hormones. And at the time, though, you weren't allowed to compete in your identified gender until you'd had surgery. That was the rule from 2013 onwards, was you had to be post-op. Um, funny enough, like I actually have to actively drug test myself, um, which no other Red Hook athlete has to, as far as I'm aware, because I have to keep a biological passport, because I have to show that my hormone, my testosterone level never goes above 10 parts per million. Um, it's funny because mine actually has been consistently below one parts per million. Um, I'm actually like low testosterone for a woman, um, which is, I guess, something that might get a little better next season. I'm trying to work on that. So I actually have to actively every three months go to a blood test myself to keep a biological passport to keep myself eligible for competition. Um, that's like, like all these, it's all these like unfair hoops. I, I don't like it, but I, I accept it. Yeah. Um, you know, because it, it, there would be issues if I was going in with, you know, a high testosterone level, right? Mm -hmm. There would be some problems. And, like, this is what makes it fair is these rules, these regulations are what makes it fair. Um, it was interesting, actually. I had a cycle cross race a week before my surgery. And one of the things for my surgery was I had to go off my testosterone blockers for two weeks before it. So I did the race and I felt just a little too good and walked up to the organizer's tent and was like, hey, just disqualify me. Like, that was for fun. It, it, it wasn't fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm really big on fairness. So that's something I follow those rules to a T as much as possible. Well, it's, it's nice that the avenues are kind of there now. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 2016 that we had that rule. So... Pre-2013, the rule was you had to have had surgery. And you otherwise, it was, it was was you couldn't compete. Surgery was the only, was the big rule. Wow, and yeah, and some After, people, like we just said, are different. And maybe they yeah, and are not, not planning on that. And, yeah. and then they want, they should be able to race with their identified gender. And I think that... No, exactly. Without the need of a very, very invasive and dangerous surgery. Of course, yeah. Um, 2013, they changed the rule to two years of no competition on hormones. Um, so two years before you were allowed to compete was the rule as of 2013. 
2016, the IOC and WADA did a joint commission with, you know, 19 members, 15 doctors, all the research on like what is fair. And the conclusion they came to was one year on hormones, specifically testosterone blockers, and one year below the threshold of 10 parts per million. So that's when I was saying I had to take the year off in 2016. That's why, because I wasn't WADA legal to compete. So when I first came out, it was back in 2014. So back before the rule changes, you know, I was kind of scared. I was worried I would never be able to, you know, properly compete in, you know, elite sports again. I was worried, but... Luckily, you know, around that time, there was Chris Mosier. Um, and if you don't know who that is, he is the first transgender athlete to compete on a U.S. national team. Um, he is a trans male that races for USA Triathlon, and he represented the United States at the World Duathlon Championships. Um, he was a huge inspiration for me, especially because I was coming from a triathlon background, to see that, okay, other people have done this and, you know, been relatively accepted. You know, he's outspoken. He's a huge advocate for the community. And so it was really cool to have this, this kind of hero to look up to. And, you know, as I went through my process and went through my transition, it was really nice because... You know, I came to the decision, I was like, okay, do I go stealth, hide the fact that you're transgender and you just live as your identified gender? Um, but I was like, you know what? I want to be open. I want to be open and talk about it like I'm doing here and, you know, be that person for future athletes as well. I want to be that person who they can look at and say, oh, like she's doing it so I can do it too. And so that's when I got involved with Trans Athlete and You Can Play is Chris Mosier actually runs or well, is a big part of those two organizations. And that's how I discovered them. And so when I started competing, I sent him an email saying, hey, you know, here's my story. And I'd, I'd like to represent these two organizations. And he was gung ho about it. He's like, you know, heck yeah, here's the links, print them off, put the stickers on your bike, put your put our logo on your jersey, you know, do it all. We'd be more than happy to. And so that was really cool. So those two organizations are transathlete.com, which is, uh, it's not really an organization as much as it's a, a web resource page. So as we had just talked about, it has all the rules, regulations regarding transgender athletes in different sporting bodies and organizations and around the world. The other one is You Can Play, which is a charity slash movement which fights discrimination of LGBTQ plus athletes in sport. Um, what's really cool is it doesn't just advocate for like LGBTQ participation, but it also um, is there for allies as well. So it has resources on, you know, how to be a good teammate to a LGBTQ plus person, how to be a good coach, how to be a good spectator. It covers all aspects of sport. Um, and they were a, a really big organization for me growing up, especially because I grew up in a you know, conservative town. And so it was nice to see these things existing. Um, on the local level, I'm an ambassador for Dapper and Daring, which is an Ottawa business directory for LGBTQ plus businesses, because I've also experienced discrimination when shopping, haircuts, different things like that. I've experienced, you know, discrimination from businesses. So their goal is to, you know, have a directory of, okay, I want to get a haircut, which salons are, you know, very LGBTQ friendly. Um, I want to go dress shopping, which stores are friendly, et cetera, et cetera. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Are there any bike shops on there? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. I should I should make sure that Joe Mama Cycles is on there because I know that they're accepting because, well, they sponsored me all year. Cool. Um, <laughs> and they were a huge help for me. They were a huge supporter of me, like, probably my biggest. So if they're not on there, I'll, I'll get them on there. Awesome. Oh, um, that's great. 
Yeah, I had one other thing I was thinking while you were setting up that I wanted to plug. Okay. I'm in a documentary. Oh, you are? <laughs> yes. What is um, it? So I'm just finished filming, actually back in November, I finished filming a documentary with Vice Media. Oh, nice. Which will be premiering in February, Marching to the Beat of Your Own Drum. And it's a series of mini documentaries about athletes who are doing things different. Um, So like unique stories, unique sports. So there's like myself, a ballerina, an archer, whole series though about young athletes, um, you know, active healthy living but so definitely check that out when it comes out uh at the end of february my episode in particular definitely wanted to plug that vice media yeah i'll definitely post about that when it comes out too yeah and i thought it was cool that when you messaged me that you're like oh i discovered you from the fix your crit article because that's kind of that was a big takeoff point for me um you know it was the fix your crit article that got me noticed by vice got me noticed by you um hopefully other things to come yeah i just think it's so important because i think that uh because one thing that does bother me about pretty much every sport is just the lack of representation a lot of times especially in media of because there's so many women that cycle there's so many queer trans like non-binary folk that are cyclists and all this stuff and are really good at what they do and they don't get their representation on on videos on you know mini podcasts uh stuff like that and so no definitely i just love like when that kind of thing can happen if i can do anything to like put it out there more and like have people be seen and and counted then i want to be a part of that no and i I definitely admire what you're doing with, you know, getting more of the women on it and, you know, bringing on trans and non-binary folks, more women, trying to get more women, more bikes more often. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about that too, is like, I'm watching like mesh and I watch like Macaframa and I watch like all these cool videos and stuff. Yeah. There's never like videos of like women like doing rad stuff. So my my biggest problem was that red hook crit documentary only talking about the men's side of the field. Yeah, I love I love Red Hook and I love what Trimble and racing is doing. But like that was like, oh, come on. Like you've done such a good job of equal prize purses for men and women. You know, the, yeah. the, we both get to race on the same courses. It's not like the UCI where the women are like very much considered a lower class of racing. Like we're considered equal on the race on the racetrack. But yeah, we're not getting the same representation. We're not getting the same sponsor money. You know, it's kind of frustrating to see. So I'm hoping that more exposure whatnot will kind of bring more attention to the women's racing. For sure. And also get more women racing. Like our, our local race, the most we've ever had was 11 women. I would love to see that field expand to the size of the men's field, which is, you know, 40, 50 something. It'd be so cool. Yeah, that was like the thing in Denver. We had two crits this summer and only one woman entered both of them. And she was 16 and she raced with the men. And she was badass for sure. But it was just we both of the women's fields had to be like just integrated and it was just her. Yeah. So we had in the Montreal scene, we had, you know, men's had a cat one and a cat two women's. We just had cat one, two because we didn't have enough to separate the categories. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We got to, got to get people out there, you know? Yeah. It's fun. It's exciting being on a bike. Exactly. Doing the things. Um, I have this friend Addie here. I think she got a new job recently, but she was like main editor for pretty damned fast. And I had no idea that she was doing that. And I thought that was really cool. So her and I are going to talk about how we can do some kind of collaborations with this. Um, that would be awesome. Have you heard of Pretty Damn Fast? No, I'm going to have to. I'm, I've got a tab of just things that you're giving me to look up here. Yeah, it's just Great. like a it's like a women's focused cycling blog. 
essentially. What? Yeah, it's really cool. They had a there was a couple of fixed carry series that wrote articles on there that I want to try to interview as well. Um, okay. I have like a stack of people right now, so I'm kind of trying to wait. <laughs> yeah, so you don't like have too many episodes recorded and like yeah. not enough recent stuff. Totally, because I'm gonna have. want to keep it topical, right? Like... Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's all I have. I should probably stop this recording now. Hey, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Did that sound really acty? Because it was a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But I really do appreciate you coming on this podcast. It was really fun talking to you. And yeah, I love no, it. No, I was really happy to be on. I, I really like what you're doing. I've been listening to the podcast weekly, so. Yay, that's so definitely good to hear. Of it, so. I've been getting so many like messages and stuff. I feel like, oh, I'm doing something cool again. Because it's been a while since <laughs> I've done anything cool. <laughs> oh, nice. But yeah, I, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and, and being so open and talking about things and riding bikes. Yeah, I'm- <laughs> I am an open book and I ride a lot of bikes. Cool. Yeah, keep us updated on the team stuff and, and we'll get it all out there. Will do. And we'll get some representation in the sport and in media. Let's do it. Cool. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, that does it for another episode of Save the Track Bike. I want to thank Evelyn for coming on. That was rad. I want to thank you guys for just downloading this and supporting the podcast. And this episode was produced by David Draper. The music is from Vitamin Pets. And find us on Instagram at Save the Track Bike and SaveTheTrackBike.com. And also a special thanks to O'Wheelie Bike Shop in Denver. Cool. Now go ride your bike whatever bike, wherever you want.